Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. 1841. New Orleans. Ground zero for the slave trade. How much? It's auction day. The day every slave fears the most. People in the Americas knew when a ship arrived because they could smell it. A day before it came. There has never been a period in our experience in North America. Every slave fears that we haven't been trying to somehow gain liberation to get freedom to get away from the oppressive restrictions on our humanity that this culture has enforced. A day before it came, they could smell it. What has happened over the years is that there have been stages of freedom. You see, when you deprive people of their fundamental humanity, they tend to even lose sight of what true freedom is. systematically rob people of their basic contact with reality, then they no longer are very clear about what is real. Under those circumstances, they then know something is wrong, but they aren't exactly sure what it is that is wrong. And because of the uncertainty about what's wrong, we have been trying desperately to get free, people then begin to engage in whatever frantic and frustrated effort they can to break free ever since we've been here of what true freedom is. So they look at the immediate restraint as a means of defining what freedom is. Dark-skinned men are bought for the fields, light-skinned women for the house. Now for most of the time that we've been here, the definition of our like of freedom was fairly tangible. It was very concrete. Buyers demand the most fertile slaves for breeding. The most expensive are light-skinned teenage virgins. We had chains on our uh, wrists. We had manacles on our ankles. We had hoops around our necks. We had dogs restricting our movement. There were guns standing at the fence. There were very tangible, concrete limitations on our access to movement of what true freedom is that made it very clear that something is wrong. We have been trying desperately to get free ever since we've been here of what true freedom is. So freedom came to me getting away from the chains, getting away from the manacles, getting away from the limitation, breaking loose from the plantation, outrunning the dogs, outrunning the hunters, 
outrunning the bounties, outrunning those people who wanted to keep us in that condition. Get away from the whip. Get away from the oppressor who was clear and evident by his physical existence. We have been trying desperately to get free ever since we've been here. During those of days what true the Negroes were far and few between. Because everybody knew they were in hell. Greetings, greetings. Operation 7, and that was an interesting in- intro from uh, Panther 48, <laughs> Chief War. Uh, that was a heavy one, but it, it leads right into what we're doing today. Today we're starting a series called Did You Know? All right? And this series is going to highlight someone from the movement, whichever movement, civil war, black power, whatever movement is moving you. You can even highlight, you may even highlight um, some people that are actually in the movement now, currently. So, but it's about getting information to people. It's about um, letting people understand, know, see what is out there working, who's working, how is it working. And um, each week you'll have a new member of the People's Party uh, speaking and sharing their information, sharing what they've learned, sharing what the, this person means to them. You know, so it's, a, it's almost like a personal uh, little tribute, you know, because it's so important that we spend time uh, building our, our information, our knowledge. It's so important that we always keep these names lifted up. We cannot uh, let this stuff go. Uh, We can't just say, hey, look, you know, that's back in the day. You know, unfortunately, that back in the day uh, will circle back around if we're not careful. You know, we, we have to really, really be clear about what's going on, who's going on, and what this means to us, you know. And so just like we have political education and everything else like that, we also have to have this this historical moment right here, and we have to spend time learning what our history has brought us, you know. We have to learn more about just where we are. So I'm very glad to be kicking this off, you know. I'm I don't say I'm a history buff, but I know how important that history is. I spent some time studying it. And I'm looking forward to seeing, because uh, we have quite a few millennials coming forward. Um, so I'm very interested in understanding what they're trying to bring, who they are looking at for answers, uh, you know, just what we're doing. So I'm very happy to be doing this. Um, again, I, you know, you're central here. We work under Chairman Yanga, Chief of Staff War, and I'm the National Director of Operations. Okay, I'm seven. And today we got to talk about, you know, someone gave me a microphone and said, hey, if anybody, who would you like to speak to from the past? It would 100% be Mother Harriet Tubman. It, I, it wouldn't even take me a minute to think about that. I, uh, this woman here, when it comes to um, 
fierceness, when it comes to being a warrior, when it comes to having integrity, when it comes to representing in the highest of highs, I can only, you know, for me, Mother Harriet does it, period. And we've had a personal experience. Um, (laughs) I have not had an opportunity to meet her personally, but I know um, I was doing some activist work hmm, maybe 10 years ago in Atlanta and um, working with an organization uh, named Wadu and they put together um, an informational little segue about a number of the um, history, you know, people of history and of course Mother Harriet came up and they asked me would you be interested in um, playing her as a character? Would would you mind in, in getting into character and doing this? And at the time, I was like, it would be such a great honor. It would be an honor to do such. Um, not like I'm an actress <laughs> or a spoken word person or anything like that. I just knew that if I had the power to be anybody at any given time, this would be the warrior woman I would like to embody. So I I said, me and my happy self said yes. And so I went and I got some, um, um, I created, for me, it's a costume. And and the reason why I say it's a costume is, is because it's something I get to take on and off. Is that something I have to keep on? But I got some old boot and I got some, uh, you know, I I got period dated clothes, okay, for that time period. Some, you know, and it felt absolutely horrible. It felt like burlap. And it, um, you know, it it was really not fashionable at all. I found an old antique gun, um, shotgun, and um, I, I began to do my research about Mother Harriet so that I could fully, fully get into um, this character. The The purpose of this was for children's education, okay? We were going to bring uh, Mother Harriet to the children in 3D, okay? It was, in theory, a very awesome idea, and I'm, I'm all good with awesome ideas, especially when it comes to educating children, I was in. I was good, right? So I um, started my study, and the more I studied, the harder this got. Uh, The more I studied, the more I questioned if I was going to be able to do this, you know. And and the reason why the question came up is not that I couldn't remember um, the information. I already knew a lot of the information. Um, the, the reason why it was so difficult, so incredibly difficult, is because I had to be able to speak about some of these horrible atrocities that were done to this woman as a woman, as a young woman, as a child, without crying. You know, Mother Mother Harriet is not a crier. Not I'll show, although I'm sure she she shed tears. That was not what we were putting forward. But at me, as a human, as a mother, that was the hardest part for me, to to force myself 
cannot be made emotional by the absolute um, abuse and terrors that this woman had to deal with. And so it took that took longer than learning the 20-minute the poem that was created. Um, that took longer than anything. <laughs> it, was, it was really, really bad. And so um, after learning to um, harden myself, harden myself to the information, after spending the time seeing the sacrifice um, I was making for the children that I, I continued with this, right? And so we had that performance that evening, and I, I went to a couple of schools. Once I did that performance, I couldn't stop. This message had to get out. It had to continue to grow, and it did. So I went to not just that performance, but to a number of the schools in the Atlanta area. And after this um, 20-minute performance, I would answer questions, you know, answer questions of that date and time. And it was always very interesting to find out what what the kids wanted to know. You know, they wanted to know things like, you know, um, depending on the age, because I did this for – middle school to uh, high schoolers. And so, you know, some of them wanted to ask if she had children. Um, and, and for the records, there aren't any documented children. Um, they wanted to know uh, why why I didn't just stop with my own freedom or with Mother Harriet's freedom. Um, they wanted to know uh was Mother Harriet ever scared? And so it was very, it was such an awesome experience for me to work with these youth and then not only present them with this information, but to be able to turn around and say, okay, um, what do you want to know about Mother Harriet? What can I find out for you? I have um, sorority sisters up in the Maryland area that do the walk. They they, they walk the journey from uh, Maryland up to, um, I think they go as far, I, I think they do all of Maryland. They may do one state. You know, you think about slavery and you think about the South. I'm in rural Georgia. So these, these dirt roads have seen some things. I know they have. So you think that this is South, but actually Mother Harriet was in um, Maryland. And um, I'm like, ooh, Maryland's cold. Maryland is cold, family. They, you know, slavery was not something just in just in the South. Um, it was longer and stronger in the South, but it wasn't just in the South. And... Um, when uh, Mother Harriet did the majority of her runs on the Underground Railroad, when she was taking people from slavery up to Canada, Canada family, to freedom, she um, she did it in the wintertime because, you know, they traveled by night, and by night um, the nights were longer. And I said, what do you mean the nights were longer? 
Okay, so that means they traveled in the wintertime in Maryland with maybe shoes. You know, I don't think people really understand, you know, because we are pretty far removed from this um, in 2021 that, you know, I don't think we really understand. You know, most of us walk from our door to the car to maybe the mailbox back to the front door. You know, you may have to take a couple of steps if you go to the grocery store or whatever. But I don't think you understand that even back in those days, it wasn't guaranteed that everyone had shoes. But yet you're walking at night for states. You know, I I, <laughs> I, I could not imagine. I couldn't imagine. And so... um it, and to do it at night in the winter, uh, a lot of times in the water, to lose the scent, um, it is absolutely horrific to think this. And to do all this in the name of freedom, of, of saying, I'm not going to accept this life. I have to have other life. You know, one of her uh, famous quotes, and there's quite a few because she was prolific. Um, one of the ones that that rings to me, and I mean rings to my spirit, is uh, there are one of two things I have a right to, liberty or death. If I cannot have one, I would have the other. Okay? You're going to give me liberty. Or just go ahead and shoot me. Go ahead and get rid of me because I'm not going to live like this. So, yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff really, really ran me. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So when it comes to Harriet Tubman, I call her out of respect, Mother Harriet Tubman. Um the three words that came, that come to mind, that stay in mind, character, courage, and commitment. Uh, she is known for utilizing the Underground Railroad, um, it's helping many, many slaves escape. You know, the number goes from, the number goes from 20 to hundreds, okay? And so it's really unsure. She was a nurse, then a spy for the Union Army, uh, a very outspoken activist. Uh, she worked with anybody that was about freedom. Okay, that that was who she was, and um, you know it is is amazing what she was able to do with um, limited resources. Uh, limited education. I've never heard of her having any supporters. Um, I've never heard of her having any supporters on this journey. Uh, I just, got, I just got word, and I wanted to let everybody know we're going to be selecting different people on this journey. And I just got word that 
Mother Cicely Tyson just transitioned. Talk about a powerhouse. So the reason why, and I'm going to get right back into Mother Harriet, the reason why we have to talk about this is because we have some powerful, powerful people in our history. We can't let this information just go. We have to make sure that not only are we giving them their proper respect, we're teaching our children. These shows will always be family-friendly on Thursday, okay? It's important that the children have a place where they can um, listen, a a place where they can get the information. You know, this this is going to be an audio lecture, okay? Um, And when it comes to the work I've done for uh, Mother Harriet, there is a place called the Southern Museum in Macon, Georgia. After hearing about this um, work I was doing under Harriet Tubman's name, they asked that I come down to the Tubman Museum in Macon and be able to do the same poem down there. And I did. And it was absolutely wonderful. It was, they had the newspaper there, that film crew there. It was a lot, but it was, it was wonderful to see her energy still being appreciated um, at that time frame. I think this was 2000 and, oh, don't give me a lie, 2008, 2009. So, and after that, I did in, in, like I said, costume. I did a number of the um, education, online education, uh, you know, a little some narrating in in her name, uh, but doing some narrating on some of the time pieces and, and art pieces that they had at the museum, and um, and then they made, I believe it's March tenth, Harriet Tubman Day down in Macon, Georgia. And they had a big, big to-do about that, and I did the play there as well. So, you know, it was all about education and um, promoting that education. But there were so many things that I learned um, that I didn't know until I started, you know, channeling this energy, channeling the energy, really, really creating a personal understanding with it. And, um, you know, and I know why they call her uh, Mama Moses. And the chairman and I have laughed about this before. They're like, this is the only woman that's been able to carry this Moses name um, (laughs) because of just who she was. You know, she was an incredible, incredible woman who spent a lifetime trying to fight and do the right thing. She was born on Minsa. Ross, Maryland, around 1822. And one thing that I did not realize until I started doing this um, is that slavery started early. I knew, and and if this is my ignorance, you know, I'm very open about who I am and where I am in my life. But And I knew that people were born into slavery. I understood that. And I understood um, 
that they weren't treated well. But I did not know that they themselves worked. So Harriet Tubman, as a child, I mean, once these children were three and four, um, you know, the ones that survived the brutal um, upbringing and, and being truly, truly left to, to manage themselves, never really having a, a true caretaker because um, parents were out working as slaves. You know, they don't have, um, they don't have uh, child care. They didn't, you know, it was, it was not, it was unbelievable. Working, doing some horrible work, even as a five and six year old. One of the jobs that she had to do is she had to um, go spring traps in the water. Um, these traps, as we're in Maryland, freezing cold, had to go get, had to go walk in the water, in the freezing cold, and come back. And the work that she was doing, and, and who knows, I'm sure the water was not chlorinated and all this other stuff. And so the work she did in that water, um, believe that helped her, um, not helped, but contributed to her damage to her organs. And all of the severe beatings. There's a story of, of uh, one of the famous stories and the one that, I, you know, I knew of before this work was, you know, when she was 12, um, she was at a store with one of the slave cooks and an overseer had came in and caught the, uh, had caught a runaway slave and the overseer was telling her, little Armenta, to um, tie down the slave with him. And she refused at 12. Now, I think at 12 I was just learning how to double dutch properly, you know. Um, At 12 I was barely going to the corner store by myself. You know, 12 was so, so young. And I don't know with where I am now if I would have known even to make a stand right there. You know, right now, when we we sit back and we call ourselves Panthers, we're making a stand. We're saying, hey, look, we are, there's something special about us. We are recognizing that there's still oppression in the world. We're recognizing that black people are not treated fairly in the United States of America, and we need to do something about that. You know, we're saying right now education and awareness is the key to creating new understanding for our children so they don't have to live in this unfair society and so that they can have whatever options they want. If they want to stay here, if they want to go back to Africa, whatever they want, I want my children to have that right. And so I, at almost 15, can make this claim. I can say these words, right? At 12, I I don't know if I could have made a stand, that hard stand. No, I'm not going to help you tie up this slave. 
I'm not going to help this slave. I'm not going to help you take this slave back. I don't know if my 12-year-old brain could have processed that. I don't. So what happened after, so after she refused, the slave got away. And the uh, overseer was so upset that he picked up a weight and he threw it and hit her in the head. And at that point, it caused her to have uh, these blackouts, um, dizziness, pain spells. Uh, They said that she bled for, you know, two days. And after two days, they woke her up and put her back out to the field to work. And she worked with blood coming down into her face and into her eyes. And, you know, this is is a 12-year-old girl. And at 12, she was enduring these type of tragedies. And I don't think this was unique. This was what all 12-year-olds were going through at that time, this immense, uh, horrible, intense, intentional slavery. But at that point, that something changed at that point. Um, you know, she had always been religious. But at that point, after this head injury, she started having uh, visions, and, and it's been documented, and she, she's very been vocal about it. She called them premonitions from God. And so I know as a spiritual person, which I am, as a spiritual leader, there's something bigger going on when when you're working in the name of God, right? So at that point, she could see I have something more going on. You know, God is working through me, and and here we are, and um, we're working to build this. But even before this event occurred, for her even to have the the heart to say no, under under the risk of her own challenges, her own pains, her own everything, she still said no? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There was something more even before that moment. But she had these dreams. What I learned er is that slavery started early. They decided, you know, they didn't wait for him to hit 16 and then you're going out into the field and everything else like that. She was going to, you know, they had been working her in unsafe, unsanitary conditions since four and five years old. Okay. Um, Harriet Tubman worked with uh, the Union Army and um, helped with many, her maps, because remember, when she was on the railroad, um, the Underground Railroad, she had to use, they used stars. They use stars. How in the world? And so they are, um, it's it's a real, uh, she was the only one that was really able to um, get the maps for the Army. And that's what she did. So she helped the Army in, in many different ways. And even after working with the Army, she when she went to um, up to uh, Canada, she was, when she went up to Canada, she still sat and worked with 
as an activist, working with women's groups, working surrounded by her family to take care of her mother. And so, um, absolutely. But the life that she lived, I knew, well, not I knew, but there's no way in the world that um, I could have, I, I think I could have uh, survived that. And, and this is part of the problem with um, people taking the, the resistance movement too lightly. We have to remember the extreme situations that they were under, okay? We're, we're, we're talking about walking at night, hiding all day, being absolutely still, running from, you know, slave catchers to go and to walk all night with bad shoes, no shoes, in the cold, not this Georgia cold because it'd be nippy outside, but um, in, in Maryland cold? These are things that, you know, I wasn't prepared to handle. I'm not prepared to handle. And, and you know, had it not been for her faith, you know, I, I wonder and I question that. So, you know, when, when it comes to understanding the why, you have to understand the why. You know, they always talk about um, how she never lost a passenger. And the reason why she didn't lose a passenger is because she threatened to, um, you know, she'd have to shoot you first. And the reason, and that sounds horrible, but the reason why is because if they would catch this person, this one person, you know, and, it, you know, she's had many people want to turn around, you know, scared, you know, and it's, it's horrible, as it's, it's horrible a life as they live as slaves even more scared of getting caught running for freedom. So the the things they did to teach them lessons as to how to not run away as slaves, um, there should still be charges brought up on these people. When you really stop and pay attention to that time period, you know, this is why – this is why understanding ancestors, and not just any ancestors, your personal ancestors, are so important because you have to understand what these people survived for you, what they were willing to go through. And so here we have this woman who who escaped slavery, and there were a few that did. But when she got free, when she was free, when she crossed the line, I remember there's one part in a um, in, in this poem that I did where I, I had these tattered gloves on my hand, and I'm looking at my hands, looking to see if I had changed after crossing the line from slave to freedom. And so, you know, and she had a line. When I found I had crossed that line, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was a glory over everything. The sun came through like gold through the trees and over the fields. I felt like I was in heaven. 
can you imagine traveling and then looking to see, physically looking to see if you had changed? Because on this side of the field, I'm a free person. And 10 steps back, I'm lower than that. I'm a slave. So she looked at herself to wonder what had changed. And again, when I was doing this poem, it was it was so difficult just understanding that, to understand that because of where I was standing, I was considered less as a person. You know, there's so many quotes from Harriet Tubman because she inspired an entire mindset. You know, there there are, are Tubman groups. There's societal understanding um, because it was, you know, her her veracity, her tenacity, her her just determination was so amazing that she was not going to be a slave. And once she got free, she was like, how can I be comfortable in my freedom knowing that so many of my family members were not? How can I be comfortable? How can I really be free? And the part that always baffled me, still baffles me, is that she would go back to get her friends, get her family, to get anybody who was willing to go, whoever's willing to make that journey. And that is amazing to me because I know people that will get out of Dodge, but not many of us are running into the face of the fire to rescue people. So she, and that, she did over and over. Uh, she's been documented, probably one of the more heavily documented uh, African-American females in um, history. And um, I know Frederick Douglass, who was a big, uh, who was an activist and abolitionist and all of the work that he did, um, did a lot of speaking about her work and how important it was and everything else like that. Um Harriet Tubman had one of the largest bounties on her head. Um, in fact, she had the largest at the time. She was the most wanted person. And I believe her bounty was um, as large as some of the um, farms. You know, so the the the, ca- the trouble that she was causing in escaping in, in, in helping people escape and giving them hope and freedom and um, the, the cost of the slaves that she was taking out of bondage and all of the, everything that she did was such a, uh, was such a deterrent, was such a uh, inconvenience, was such a financial strain. She was undermining the very system of slavery. She was undermining that, and to the point where she was worth a small farm. So she had one of the largest bounties on her, and so everyone was looking for her. And what she did and was known for doing was 
putting um, putting disguises on people, including herself. You know, uh, she would do things like if, if you know, intentionally be on a train going south. And people would be like, oh, she's not going to come on a train. Uh, she's going to try to um, travel by foot or do this or do that. She would catch the train back south. She would wear, like, these super large uh, head bonnets. And she had a, a chicken on a string. <laughs> and any time one of the uh, slave catchers would get close to her, or would look at her, you know, she would let the chicken escape and she'd be holding on to the string and she come 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 here, come here, come back. And and she would literally walk right past the slave catcher while pretending to, to be this old woman chasing a chicken, okay? It's that kind of stuff. If she escaped a bunch of men leaving, uh, you know, if she helped a bunch of men escape a plantation and there was news that there was a large group of men traveling, she would dress them in women's dress so that, you know, they would, um, oh, that's not who we're looking for. Those are a bunch of women, okay? So she constantly constantly out slicking people and she'd be right there in their face out slicking people so you know that's that's how you are petite not petite that's how you are strong that's how you make things happen she was petite um she was only five foot (laughs) she was only five foot and was was bigger than anything I ever knew, you know. And even when I was trying to play her, you know, I'm not five foot. And um, but I was like, it was so important to have that energy presented. You know, they talk about her carrying her gun. Yes, she had her gun. Um, but you know, she she didn't want to hurt you, but you weren't going back. She was going to take a chance that you were going to um, take care of that. You weren't going to do that. Um, I'm sitting here looking at the numbers, okay, because I'm looking at how much it would cost to have Harriet Tubman found and captured, okay? So they said the amount that they were willing to offer equivalent from then to now to well, 2019 no 20 yeah 2019 would be 1 million that's a lot of money that's how much she was hurting slavery okay that they were willing to pay 1 million dollars over a million dollars so that lets you know, really, uh, <laughs> really, really what she was worth to them and the trouble that they caused, okay, and how important that was. 
um, in 2016, it was announced that um, they were going to be putting her picture on the $20 bill, you know. And if you don't know um, that much about Harriet Tubman, there is a movie out um, called, I believe it was just called Harriet, and um, that spoke about her life. I believe that she is one of the most important people, especially for women. You know, I am National Director of Operation, believes in women. You know, myself, Big Mama Makita, we do Big Mama's House once a month. We're going to be getting even more active as the summer comes and to be doing more, to be offering more to the public. You know, it's so very important that we remember who all of the people that were there in doing the work, and Harriet Tubman was a big, big piece of that, a huge piece of that. And so, you know, it was only fitting, you know, that I start with her. I'm looking forward. Mama Makita is going to be coming um, next week with next Thursday, and I am, I know it's going to be hot. I'm really looking forward to um, sharing all of the information and getting information. You know, we have to have these points and places just where we can go and and learn because there's so much. All of us are not going to be able to, to take on these lessons individually, but to have them, you know, kind of spelled out for us and have someone else do the research, take advantage of it, okay? Let, let's spend some time. Um, Let's spend some time doing this, okay? Let's spend some time really trying to plan what we do, how we do it. Make this a part of your week. You know, we spend so much time bouncing around the radio, you know, listening to nonsense here and there and stuff. You know, this particular program isn't even, it's not about debating. It's not about fighting. It's not about any. This program here is 100% about what, about who created us, whose work went into what we're doing, whose uh, work do we get to benefit. This is benefit, you know what I'm saying? I am part of the beneficiary of the work that Harriet Tubman did, for without her, there. um there would not have been recognized. And I say recognized because there were a lot of people working. You know, back in the day, I I say it's about the um, civil rights movement, the black power movement. You know, there are some names of those that were up and speaking and, 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 you know, had the megaphone. But there were a lot of people supporting everyone in the megaphone. They were supporting that, okay? And so it, it takes a lot to um, it takes a lot to be able to do that. So for every Harriet Tubman, there were those that were were supporting her financially, that were um, writing about her, speaking about her, um, making sure she had what she had, and then you know just taking it from there. And so, you know, I, I want all of this to come to light so that we can begin to know more about our very selves, okay? Um, when, as uh, Harriet Tubman got older, 
she did, you know, she was, I don't want to forget this, she was married. Her first husband was a freeman down in, in Maryland, and um, she was not free. And there was a, a point where she thought she was going to get sold away because they didn't recognize marriages. Um, slaves weren't allowed to get married even if she was marrying a free man. So when, you know, she asked him to run away with her so that they could be together, and um, he declined. And so she went by her, she went with her brothers. But she did get married again later in life, and um, and I believe they had adopted a child. But I don't, she didn't have any children herself. But, um, yeah, I don't want to forget, she did have, you know, um, she got married twice, but had a, a husband that you know afterwards. Afterwards, after in her life, but I wanted you know I, this is just a small piece of what she has done in her life. I really, really want all people—I don't care who, where, and when. But spend some time looking into her life some more. Um, she is going to be, they say, not the first African American, but the first after about a hundred years to be put on money. So, and not just any money, the twenty dollar bill. And I remember when this made a big fuzz and they made the big announcement, and I haven't heard anything about it. And it could be because Trump was in office. You know, so maybe we can go forward now and we can begin to um, think about what that's going to look like again. How how do we do that? Um, she lived to be about 90, 91 years old, and um, it, it was so monumental, monumental. So... So all all of this work was so important. Um, Live long, did well. Uh, there's there are many Cubman schools to you know. Like I said, for an African American woman, she's one of the most well documented African American women there. And I really do believe that that had something to do with her service to the Union Army. You know, she worked with. Uh, the army and was paid by the army not well <laughs> not much but they did compensate her so you know she was on payroll she she really made things happen and again all of this stuff is um all of these things are are monumental because women weren't doing this you know people African Americans weren't doing it so you know she was so ahead of Everything, so ahead of everything. So please spend some time. There are a number of Tubman museums, I believe two right here in Georgia. Um, up in Maryland, where she was from, there are a number of um, Tubman museums where you can get more information. There are performers that do exactly like I did, and they have a um, performance of Harriet Tubman, and um, there's a book called What I Learned from Harriet Tubman. I really, I believe that's the title. 
I met the author of this book back when I was doing this work a lot heavier. And, you know, she really spelled out for other um, what it was like, the principles that Harriet Tubman must have lived by in order to accomplish all the things that she did accomplish, okay? So with all that she had to do, you know, this is more, you know, um, this is so very important that we are able to start to look at this. And, you know, I didn't understand why this was on me so heavy. We got to do this. We're about to move into February, which is Black History Month. And um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are interested in, um, um, that are going to be interested in learning more about their history. What I'm here to tell you is that there's more, way more than just Black History Month um, people, okay? <laughs> Don't get caught up in their idea of uh, uh, <laughs> of um, black history. Don't let them tell you that you can only have history for uh, 28 days, okay? This is something that we need to be doing, period, point blank, every week, presenting information, letting, educating people as to who they are and what they're going to be doing. Um, we need to be doing this, and that's why we're doing it. That's why we're doing it. There's tons of um, there's tons of movies, films, all this information. So I'm going to encourage you, you know, spend some time, especially this month, seeing how information is going to be um, very readily available. But don't let it start and don't let it stop there. I don't care if it starts there, but don't let it stop there. Take it a step further. Take a, take a moment to really begin to learn and understand who these people are and their sacrifice that they readily made, and then apply it to yourself. You know, uh, I can tell you the chairman's always asking, hey, what are you doing? What, what organization are you a part of? How are you building? You know, every week our chief of staff out in San Diego is doing new member orientation because there's so many people that are in learning how to be more success, more productive um, and to help more people have positive interactions in their community. So I really would like everybody to take your time, spend the time to learn, and to um, really, really take advantage of the time that we have this month, okay? Understand we're going to be doing this each Thursday. Every Thursday, there's going to be a different person, a different host, and a different highlighted figure from our history, okay? Both of them are going to be worthy of your time. Spent, and we're going to have Mama Kita coming on and, and educating us about what's going to be happening next week, okay? So I want to thank everybody for their time. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about this series. Uh, spend the time learning about it so that we can continue to build, okay? That's what we want. We want to continue to build on who we are and what we're trying to bring, all right? Okay, I want to thank you for your time. I'm going to say black power and good night. All African-Americans are slaves. All African-
African Americans are slaves. African American slaves. Slaves, slaves, slaves. No one had to convince them freedom still was not there. Except for a few of them, of course, who've gotten to hang out in the house. Freedom still was not there. Pressure was to get away from the conditions of the plantation, and that was the definition of freedom. If we can just get away from this mean cracker, freedom still was not there. So the concept of liberation was migration from this mean cracker, migrate from the plantation in Virginia and Carolina and Georgia and Mississippi and Kentucky, and let me get to the free land up north or to Canada up north. Just get out of this physical situation. So the concept of freedom was a very simple one. That to move from the physical restraint to a place where you had relative ability to move about. So it become a little less physical. Freedom still was not there. After the period of slavery, freedom still was the not there. The concept of freedom became slightly different. A little less tangible. It became one of now that the chains are off, now that the fences are removed, now that the dogs are no longer put on us, now that you no longer have a right to deprive me of the ability to move, then it became clear that even though those things were gone, freedom still was not there. So it became a little less tangible. Freedom still was not there. A little less tangible. Even though you couldn't vote and even though you couldn't walk on the same side of the street and even though you had to drink out of a special fountain and even though your children had to go to special schools and you had to live in special areas, the idea though is that somehow it was still less tangible. It was less clear. It was more abstract. But people knew something still was wrong. So they said, freedom means let me participate. Freedom still was not there. So they said, ball, not there. Now that the chains are gone, let, let me do some of what you do. Freedom still let was me not there. Go where you go. Eat where you go. Go to the bathroom where you go to the bathroom. Let me live where you live and let my children go where yours go. And our concept of freedom then became one of participation. Less tangible. Freedom still was not there. Let me do some of what you do. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.